0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area.
1: I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6, and if you'll find your place there, and then also turn to... Uh, the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 24. We're going to use both of these texts tonight. This is our first Lord's Supper observance of the new year. Uh, The first Sunday is a blessed time to observe the supper because we begin the year with our hope renewed that we are closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that we are to observe the supper until... The Lord returns, which makes each time of celebration um, a time of expectation of the promise that the Lord gave before He left this world when He told His disciples, If I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, these past few months in our Sunday afternoon services, we've been studying the sacrifices of the Old Testament tabernacle worship. And often I've said that studying the tabernacle is the most comprehensive view that we have of Christ in his work of redemption that we can find in Scripture. Uh, There's more of Christ revealed in types and figures here than there is any place else. And each of the sacrifices combined with the understanding of Old Testament priesthood opens up more and more of Christ's marvelous work. We see Christ in the sacrifices and surely we have found him in the many nuances of the commandments for Israel's worship. And for our supper this evening, I, I thought that we would return to the tabernacle once again to see how there is a parallel picture of Christ as the bread of life, both in the Lord's Supper, of course, as you know, but also in the tabernacle worship. But before I go there, I want to return just a second here to, the, uh, to what I mentioned uh, about the Lord's return. Paul spoke of that in conjunction with the supper. And there is also a picture of Christ's return in the tabernacle. Both advents of Christ, the first and the second, can be found in the types. And we might expect that because of the comprehensiveness of the tabernacle's Christology. So how do we understand Christ's return through the tabernacle? Well, interestingly, it comes through its location, that is, the way that it was situated each time that it was set up. Every time that they put the tabernacle up after it had been moved from place to place, they always put it up with the door facing east. Now, the sun rises in the east, and the sun rises, Rising in the east has always been a picture of a new day dawning or something new that will happen, a new beginning. And the scripture says that God's glory will come from the east. In Ezekiel's vision of the millennial temple, he wrote, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came by the way of the east. Can you give me that uh, scripture there, Joshua? Please. There we go. Behold, the glory of God of the God of Israel, came by the way of the east. And then in verse number 4, it says, And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. Jesus said that when he returns, that he will come from the east. In Matthew 24, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There isn't anything in the tabernacle that's accidental. Nothing is wasted. There is a teaching in every line. Jesus is in every minute detail. Now, if you look at our text in John chapter 6, beginning at verse number 25, I want to uh, speak to you of another picture of Christ symbolized in both Old Testament and New Testament worship. John 6, verse number 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they came unto him, They said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Of course, there he's referring to the feeding of the 5,000. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, For him hath the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath said. I'll stop there for just a minute. That that phrase, this is the work of God, is interpreted variously. Uh, I think that a good interpretation of it is, This is the work of God means that this is the work that God does that you believe on him who has sent. In other words, it is God who gives us faith. Verse number 30, They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now if you'll turn to Leviticus chapter 24. And in verses 5 through 9 of this chapter are directions for baking showbread that was to be displayed in the tabernacle. Leviticus 24, verse number 5. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. You might want to just underline that if you're prone to do that in your Bible. An offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy. And him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. I'm not going to go there now, but if you want to make note of the reference, you can find the instructions for making this table of showbread uh, that holds the bake loaves. That's in Exodus 25 verses 23 to 30. Exodus 25, 33 to 30. I want to show you a picture of the table that we're talking about where the showbread was put. It's a table that's 27 inches high, 36 inches long, and 18 inches wide. It was made of wood that was overlaid with gold. And I won't go into that because I'm sure that you're aware of the symbolism of those two materials, wood and gold. So this table was made to display the bread. That's simply the reason why it's called show bread. It's bread to be shown. It's bread to be set out continually. Also called the bread of the presence, which in the Old Testament worship is just a beautiful emblem that Christ is always present with us. There are 12 loaves that were baked. Uh, Probably these would have been baked on Friday and then put out on the Sabbath day, placed on this table in two sets of rows of six loaves each. 12 loaves are for the 12 tribes of Israel, although none of the tribes of Israel actually got to eat this bread. But they were placed here to show that God has enough for everybody. God has enough for all, that he will nourish all of his people. Now in our study this afternoon, we're going to connect this bread in the tabernacle with the picture of Christ who is uh, the bread of life in the supper. Now the first that I want you to notice, first thing, is the purpose of the bread. And the purpose of it is nourishment. This is, of course, the standout feature of bread, that uh, the bread is easily recognized as um, for nourishment because it's a staple that's been known uh, by people everywhere for all of our lives. We've known that bread is a staple of life. Sometimes when you go into a store, um, occasionally you'll see this, that there might be a sheaf of wheat over the bread aisle. So that before you ever ever see the bread, you know where it is because you see that wheat and you know you're in the right place. That's where you're going to find bread. You may remember when, some of you, when Nabanita was here, I believe that one of her research projects in receiving her doctorate was to genetically engineer wheat plants and other uh, bread sources to produce more, more food in harvest so you could feed more people. And the reason for that, of course, is uh, in places like India where you have so many people that you've got to have bread for people to eat. You've got to have plenty for them to eat. And you can can do without a lot of things. You can take a lot of things away from people, but you don't want to take away their bread. That makes for very unhappy people. If you've ever been on a no-carbs diet, you may have decided you're going to stop eating bread. And so you're left scratching your head sometimes. What am I going to eat? I mean, once, once you take away bread, what do you eat? I mean, you go to In-N-Out and you can order, uh, a hamburger wrapped in lettuce, but who wants that? I mean, that, some of, some of you do, Jim. You, Jim, of course, with his heart problems, he, he may want to do that, but you go to, you go to In-N-Out and you order a hamburger, uh, Wrapped in lettuce, that's like committing sacrilege to the almighty hamburger gods. You just, you just don't want to do that. Hamburgers without bread are a joke. So I've reached the conclusion that diets without bread are sinful. That you can't be a Christian and be saved without eating bread. And that's just a fact of life. I can show it to you right here in the Bible. you got to eat bread. So you, you, you want to do that. Now again, though, uh, 12 loaves. These 12 loaves are baked. They're put on the table of showbread, and this stood in the tabernacle on the north wall of the tabernacle, but none of the children of Israel could eat it. Uh, it was intended as priest food. They could eat it, but only them, which which turned out to be a, an interesting conundrum when David and his men were starving when Saul was pursuing them. You may, I'm sure you remember this story. Jesus used the story of David from 1 Samuel 21 uh, when the Pharisees accused him of and his disciples of sinning because they'd been through the uh, wheat field and picked some ears of the wheat to eat. They accused them of, of sin. And Jesus brought up this story of David when he went to the priest at Nob, which is where the tabernacle was at that time. And he had nothing to eat for him and his men. And so the priest gave him the showbread to eat. And from that, Jesus taught that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath that the law of the Sabbath wasn't intended to harm man but to help him. And you look at that in Scripture, and there's lots of places that I could go with it, such as do we save salamanders or do we feed people, which is more important? Or what's best for man and his well-being and his advancement is that we worry about birds that are nesting under a bridge or do we build the bridge so that people can get where they need to go and get to their jobs and so forth. But that's another subject for another day. In New Testament times, the Bible teaches that we are all priests of God. And that's good for us because that means that we're permitted to eat the bread. And I mean the bread, the bread of life. The bread that's received by faith. So that's first in our spiritual understanding of bread. It is received by faith. And when John chapter 6, Jesus... Uh, This is the thing that drives his point here. It's faith. He's the bread of life that is received by faith. That he is spiritual nourishment. And when you go to him in faith, you'll never hunger. He said, he that believe it, that person will never hunger and never thirst. That's faith. That's the method of receiving spiritual nourishment from him. It is. It must come by faith. Of course, Jesus wasn't talking about physical food. He's not speaking even of primarily receiving anything material from him, as many would have you believe from reading this scripture. Neither does he say that his physical flesh is something that must be ingested in order to have spiritual life as is taught by Roman Catholics in the Mass. Jesus explained that what he spoke to the people, his words were spirit and they were life. So very clearly he told them he didn't intend that anyone would think that they could eat his flesh. And when that spiritual thing is distorted, to make that a physical thing, then faith is destroyed. We're saved by faith, not by any physical actions. We don't do things. We don't keep rituals. We don't perform sacraments. What we do here tonight, though an act of faith has nothing to do with our salvation, Jesus said, He that believeth. And the scripture says, The just shall live by faith. Now secondly... To receive proper nourishment from bread, it must be regularly partaken. Regularly partaken. Now, I, I wish that I only needed to eat once a month. That'd do wonders for my waistline. Matt and I were talking just a minute ago about how much it cost to feed your family. That'd be a great thing for my budget if I only had to eat once a month. But the human body's not made to eat sporadically. We've got to keep on eating. We have to keep regularly or eat regularly to be healthy. Now there's a very simple comparison of this in John 6 of eating regularly, spiritually maintain our health. Now if you look there at verse number 31, oddly enough it's the objecting Jews that bring this up and then Jesus plays off of it. But in verse 31 it says, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, they were referring to manna that was given to Israel on a regular basis. The Lord provided for them regularly. They went out to gather the manna, and there was as much there as each family required. Every day they had what they needed. So, Jesus seized on that opportunity to say that He is the true spiritual bread that came down from heaven. And so, He says this manna is emblematic of Him. Then as Israel ate manna every day, the disciples learned from this that they must partake of Jesus every day, that faith is not a one-time event any more than eating a meal is a one-time event. Faith is daily, faith is ongoing for God's people. Our faith is a persevering faith. It's by faith that we're kept securely every day in the grace of God as Peter said we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Now we do know this, we're justified once, only once by our faith. But faith that justifies is a faith that continues. It's a faith that goes through every day of our lives and it's through that kind of faith that we're sanctified. It works throughout our lives, bringing us closer to God, to Christ. So we are obedient through faith and that faith that purifies makes us Holy as Christ is holy. So we, we've we got to continue to, to live in faith. The just shall live by faith. In our Romans study, uh, we, we talked about the, that that saying, the just shall live by faith. Paul said that in Romans, taking it out of the Old Testament. And to live by faith has two meanings. We live, that is, we're raised from spiritual death into spiritual life through faith. Faith is the instrument by which that takes place. But we also live by faith. That is, every day that faith is ongoing. Every day we live in that faith as we get closer and and live for the Lord. So just as we eat every day to live physically, we must feed on Christ every day to live, live spiritually. So you might ask, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Uh, God provides a way for us to do it. He does it through His church. He does it through the communion of His church, His people coming together. We come together here to feast on the words of Christ in sermons that are preached. So I hope that when you come, there's been a satisfying meal that's been prepared in the sermons, and I hope that you taste and see that the Lord is good. But not just what you hear from me, The Lord also gives you a way to eat and to be nourished because He has given you the same Bible that I use. All the ingredients for a sermon are taken right out of here, right out of God's Word, and every one of you has a copy of it. And so you can be a good cook too. If you just keep reading and keep looking into the Word of God, then you have everything that you need right here for spiritual nourishment. So what you should have every single day is a meal plan from the Bible. This is why we give you a, one of these little sheets that has a, a Bible reading plan to read through your Bible in a year. You don't have to use that, but I do suggest that what you do is make sure that you do have that meal plan, that, that you do get into God's word regularly every day and feast on God's word. Now, there are many analogies that I could use on this particular point, talking about daily eating, but I need to save some time and let me save time by getting down to the business at hand for the seating, but I don't want you to save time. I want you to take the time uh, to, to read God's Word and to study it and make it uh, useful in your life. I, I'm blessed, that, of course, that I have a job that puts me in the middle of Bible study every day. It's not unusual for me to, to be in the Bible. I have to do that every day. And I, and I hope that as I do that, I begin to get fat in God's Word. Now, you can choose to do that, or you can take a TV dinner, you can make it quick and easy and get through it, and your time in God's Word would be like many preachers, because many preachers preach that way. You can tell the big difference between a sermon prepared in 30 minutes and one that takes hours and hours to prepare, there's a big difference in those. And so, uh, um, there are many fat preachers, have you noticed? There are a lot of fat preachers, but... Unfortunately, they're not spiritually fat. That's that's a problem. Now let me expand for, for just a minute on an earlier thought uh, as our second observation this evening that the purpose of the bread is nourishment. And now secondly, the participants of the bread. That this bread is for the fellowship of God's people. Who could eat the bread in the tabernacle? Well, we'll return there. It's only Aaron and his sons. They are the appointed priest of the Most High. High God. Now today, that priesthood is gone. The Aaronic priesthood is gone, superseded by another priesthood, a better priesthood. That is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And as Aaron's sons were priests, so are the sons of God. All of the sons of God are priests. And this new priesthood that we have is called the priesthood of the believer. First Peter 2, nine says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there's none of you that needs to go to another priest. You don't need to go to another man to provide your access to God. You have no earthly mediator that stands between you and him. The way into God's presence is provided by the blood of the cross. It's through the veil of Christ's flesh that's opened up by the cross. And now you're permitted to go directly to God and have fellowship with Him. So you are appointed as a priest through faith in Christ. And there you see that again. The just shall live by faith. Not only in your, in your everyday life that you go through, but your life of service for God. You are a priest of His, and that has to be lived in faith. Your priesthood and access to God is dependent on faith. And so we're invited into the fellowship of the Holy God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're outfitted in His righteousness. And we're invited to come to the marriage feast of the Lamb. So as believer priests, you and I come together to this table of showbread, so to speak. And here we fellowship with Christ and with each other. This is called the communion. In First Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17, Paul gave us that term. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Isn't that a great picture? A wonderful picture. Aren't you happy that you aren't an ancient Israelite? You can come. You can partake. You're welcome at His table. There aren't any laws broken when you come to this table of Christ. As a member of His body and His blood, as His body, the church, you have the right to partake of His table. You're under the law of Christ. And that's the law of faith. Now, I might warn... I, I look I look at, at this congregation and I see members, I see church members, but I still have to warn people that may be listening to it in, in other places um that only his church is welcome at his table. I don't have the right to invite any others to the Lord's table. It's his table for this body of Christians. That doesn't mean we judge ourselves better than others. You see that disclaimer on our little outline tonight. We have that. We don't judge ourselves better than others. We're all sinners that are saved by God's grace. But above all, we believe that he is the Lord of his church. And he is the Lord of his table. And so he invites who he pleases to invite. I can't invite anyone else. It's his table. Now let me expand on that thought too. What is the fellowship of the church for? Why do we get together? Why is this so exclusive to the church? Well, there's some things that come out of that. Some very important uh, spiritual uh, teachings that come from it first is this is acceptable service this is the way we serve god acceptedly acceptedly first uh, peter 2 5 ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god by jesus christ And romans twelve one. The scripture you're familiar with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now those, that's the operative word that we want to look at here. It's the word acceptable. That's in both of these verses. And it indicates that there is a type of worship that is not acceptable. There's a spiritual type of worship that's not acceptable. It is not acceptable. To bypass the church and claim that you love Christ. You can't do that any more than a priest can change his service at the tabernacle. You can't alter God's way. So the priest can't bypass the bread. He can't fail to bake the bread and then bring it into the tabernacle on the Sabbath every week. That is his acceptable service. And he's bound to follow those instructions. And in the New Testament church... Are we left without God's instructions? Does He not instruct us how we are to worship Him? Have you noticed that the New Testament epistles are instructions to who? Churches. These are epistles written to the churches. So what makes you a partaker of anything that's written in the New Testament epistles outside of the Lord's church? So how do we have some who say, Oh, I don't believe in membership. I don't believe in membership in the church, but in the very same scriptures where Paul, uh, where we find instructions for the Lord's Supper, uh, he says, We are members. In 1 Corinthians, we are members of his body. We're partakers of his body. And the partakers are what? They are all members, only members of his church. Now, let me say another word about that. There are some who are members. And yet, they think it's all right to bypass much of the quarterly attendance of the church and the other meals that are prepared from the Word and then to show up for this part, come here for this. Is that what we would call acceptable service? Is the Lord pleased that there would be meals prepared in His house and yet most of those meals are skipped? That people don't come to the other times of worship and times that they can learn about God to eat of that meal? We have a church for this purpose, to feed God's people. We ought to take every opportunity that we have to feed from God's word. So would you would you protest that you are spiritually, as spiritually healthy as someone who eats all of the time? Someone who eats all that they're supposed to eat? Now perhaps you may fool yourself and you say, well, yes, I'm very spiritually healthy. Well, you might want to check with God about that. Uh, you, you might... Um, want to consider that you are a priest with acceptable service. And let's see if you can prove that from the word, that your service is acceptable to him. Now next, participation in fellowship assures for you that there is an abundant supply, that there's plenty here for you. Twelve loaves were on the table. Each tribe of Israel was represented at the table, and likewise, every child of God has plenty of spiritual food. Uh, You might not eat enough of it, but that's not because there's a lack of supply. The Word of God is rich and deep. This past week, on January 1st, uh, this statement was made in Table Talk about the Gospel of John. It said, John is a pool, shallow enough for a child to wade in, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. You know, I love that sentence because it tells us that no matter where you are in your Christian life, no matter how long you've been saved and how much you've learned, or how little time that you've been saved and how little you know, there's always something in God's Word to feed you. There's always plenty there for you to nourish you. Now, there there are, I think, some of you that feel like you you languished for, for a long, long time because uh, you felt that the Word that was taught to you lacked depth. Do you feel that pastors... Failed you because they didn't feed you? In Hosea, God said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And do you know where God laid the blame for it? He laid it on the priests and the prophets that failed to give the people the truth. All the truth that failed to feed His people. Is there more in the Bible than you knew was here? Is there? Is there more? Do you feel... Well, I know Christ better now. I I know salvation better now. I'm more grateful because my understanding of the Word of God and what Christ has done for me has been increased. The fullness of truth is opened up. And what can that do but to make us grateful people for what Christ has done? There's an abundant supply of truth. So why do we eat less than what God puts on the table? Why, why do most preacher want, preachers want to feed people appetizers and dessert when the main course is the meal? The main course is the meat of the Word of God. And so we can feast on that, the full, abundant supply of God's table. And when you do that, what do you expect's going to happen? And you feast to the full at God's table, what do you think will happen? Well, I would think that your energy would be increased, your spiritual energy, that you'd be charged up and from there you would produce the third thing that we look at and that's active service that when you feast on the word of God you're you're nourished spiritually you grow spiritually you're made stronger which puts you into active service for the Lord that's the third aspect of partaking of bread it takes strength to go to work now you get full but you don't do what most people do when they get physically full you're, you're probably like me. You get really full. What's the first thing you want to do? Go to sleep. Go to the couch and go to sleep. Well, I promise you this, that when you feast on God's Word, that's not going to be your reaction. You're not going to go to sleep. You can't sit on God's Word. God's Word nourishes you and fires you up. You know, like Jeremiah said, "That's a fire in my belly. I've got to get that thing out. I've got to go tell somebody about this and When you're feasting on the Word of God, it'll have that effect on you. So when the Word is properly appropriated, it gives you spiritual energy and makes you want to go. You can't sit down and sit still. Now I can draw out another analogy uh, in the tabernacle on that point, that in the tabernacle there were no pews, there were no chairs, there was nowhere for the priest to sit. He did all of his work, standing and moving... And he'd better be moving. I'll explain that later when we get to the bells on the robe of the ephod. But he better be moving. Uh, his bells were always ringing because he was always serving. Now the, the spiritual importance of that is that the priesthood is work. You don't stop here. You don't lay down. You don't quit with this. You are a priest of Christ and you don't stop. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12 Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Who is the servant that's blessed? The one that the Lord finds so doing. Now, this this brings us then to the heart of the message this evening. The supper is about Christ. And the table of showbread is about Christ. So how do we see a better picture of him in the bread? Well, thirdly, we'll talk about now the the process of the bread. That is the refinement of it. Making bread is a process. Coarse grain is beaten into flour. Chaff is blown away. The kernels are put between the millstones to be ground and crushed until they're fine flour. Jesus is... The bread of life. And he was put through that process. There are two parts to making bread. The grinding and the baking. So first. We have that that grinding process. And we can call this the sifting of the Savior. Jesus was put into the crunch of the millstones of God's wrath. Personally of course he needed no refinement. But he went through that grinding process for us. And he did that because if he didn't do it, then you and I would be put through it and we would not survive it. We would never make it through. He started the process by going through the temptation. Satan ground him in the desert, though we know that the Holy Spirit was the one who led him there. And he wasn't ground to make him pure. He was ground to show that he was pure. He was wrung out and yet there wasn't Anything squeezed out of him that was an imperfection. Oh, he proved himself to be perfect in every detail. And neither was he ground to the point that he was broken and useless. What Satan could never do, he could never shake the faith of Christ, of Jesus and his Father. He could never render him useless for our salvation by working on him and getting him to reject the death of the cross. Satan couldn't break him. And so he tries to break us instead. He spends his time trying to tear us down and beat us up. In um, Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus said something interesting to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren." satan tempts he tries to grind us down but we have the savior who's already taken that grinding for us he's been through the process for us and then he prays that our faith will not fail he intercedes to ensure that it won't well i would ask you are the prayers of jesus are they ever unanswered no jesus never worries i wonder this time did i go through the acts acrostic? Did I get that all right, ACTS? Did I get all four of those? Jesus never worried about that. He never prayed a prayer that was not perfect. And so what does the Heavenly Father do? He always answers His prayers. And so the reason that your faith is a persevering faith is first of all because Christ gave it to you. And secondly, He intercedes for you. He ensures that your faith won't fail by praying for you. He prays without ceasing for you. Can you imagine that he would pray without ceasing? Or that he would cease, rather, and tell you to pray without ceasing? No, you know that he does things perfectly, so this is what he does for us. He continually prays for us that our faith won't fail, and it can't. Now, no doubt, we all have our times of weakness. We can't see the end of our faith. Often we're weary, and we fear that our faith will fail. We're just afraid that we're just not going to be able to hold out. But I I love the the words of this song uh, that we've added to our our, um, programs. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Our eternal salvation is guaranteed because Christ prays for us and holds us fast. The Savior was sifted. He was ground down. And in that process, He earned righteousness that is imputed to us by faith. Well, all that remains is for, uh, to make the bread, is to take the flour and to put the flour into the fire and to bake it. Well, did the bread from heaven did he go through that as well? Is that part of his process? well, indeed it was so next we see the flame of the furnace the flame of the furnace to bake the bread a few years ago our uh, our ladies produced the berean cookbook, and in this cookbook, I think I saw some of those outside. I don't know if we still have them if everybody's picked the the remainders we've had from years ago, but in this cookbook there were there are 17 recipes for making different kinds of bread. There's a recipe for monkey bread. I don't know what that is. I pity the monkey. I don't know what it is. I, you know, I've had a few talks with Jorge about some of the things that he's eaten. Have you, do you know the difference between an American zoo and an El Salvadoran zoo? Anybody know? Let me tell you. America, uh, uh, an El Salvadoran zoo, you, you see the cage. And you see the plaque? And it has the animal's name. And right underneath it has a recipe. So there's no there's no animals in an uh, El Salvadoran zoo. They've eaten them all. But in this Berean cookbook, um, all the bread recipes say, put the dough in the oven and bake to 350 to 425 degrees. Fire is needed to bake bread. I'm sure that Lisa... Um, use fire when she baked this bread and you would say well i wonder if she made a mistake because it didn't rise well that's a whole other story about bread no she didn't make a mistake everything's just fine so don't worry about that but she had to use fire to bake it put it into the oven to make sure that it bakes properly and let me say that fire was needed to make the bread of life when jesus went to the cross he suffered god's hell fire for everyone who believes. Now, I want you to hear that again. He suffered God's hellfire. It was God who rained that down on him at the cross. Hell belongs to God, not to Satan. One of the most horrific errors of charismatics like Kenneth Copeland and word of faith preachers, maybe you didn't know this, but they have a doctrine that says that the atonement was paid to Satan. The atonement's paid to Satan that Jesus was under Satan's wrath. No, Satan is a peon. Satan controls nothing. It was God that poured out wrath on his son. Now there are some who protest that because they say, if you believe in a substitutionary atonement and God would do this to his own son, then that makes God an eternal child abuser. Well, before you protest, you need to understand that's the only way that you could be justified. Only Jesus can take enough punishment to pay the penalty of God's wrath against all of our sins. Only a perfect Christ can satisfy God. Only He can suffer infinitely for the sins that are against an infinite God. And the reason He can do that is because He is God. Only God can satisfy God. So if Christ didn't do it, you'd be eternally lost. God loves us so much that he inflicted infinite punishment. So what he did was to heat the furnace seven times hotter. Now, that's one of our metaphors, seven times hotter. That's a metaphor. That's as hot as you can get. And and in fact, it stands for infinite, infinite heat, infinite hell that's put on the Savior, infinite punishment. And Jesus took all of that to pay for the sins that are against each of us. Leviticus says, and I had you underlined it a moment ago, it is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So that fire and this bread, this is a symbol of Christ being put into the furnace of punishment. And so when you come to this table tonight, you you need to remember what had to be done for this bread to be brought to you. Somebody had to grind the flour, and somebody had to put it in the fire, and Christ had to go through the sifting and he had to go through the fire to be the bread of life for you. Now remember the words of the apostle. He said, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the, show the Lord's death till he comes. So this is what we do. We remember the Lord's death. We remember the flames of the cross. So every time that you fellowship in the supper, you, you show Christ's death for sin on the cross. John three thirty five and 36. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus said in John 6, He that believeth the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in this, in this time of a supper and after finishing this message, Lord, we come thanking you for the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save us from our sins, that true bread that was sent down from heaven. And truly, Lord, you did go through the sifting, through the grinding process, and Lord, you proved yourself to be holy and righteous in, in every and everything. No sin was found in you. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And then, Lord, we we thank you that you were willing to go through that furnace of fire to suffer hell for us, a hell that we would suffer if not for the work that you did at the cross. So thank you, Lord, for what you do for us there, and we praise your name for it all. Lord, as we partake of the supper tonight, may we remember this beautiful emblem that we have, the bread of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who is our nourishment our spiritual nourishment, and saves us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, ronard park california 94928 additionally you may visit us on the world wide web at www.bebaptist.org